0: Greenside, the IGA podcast. Also, Mike McCoy, the 2013
1: U.S. Johnson, now a two-time major champion after becoming the winner of the
0: 144th Open Championship. All right, welcome to Greenside, the IGA podcast. Clint Brown here with you. Got guest Mark Gambiana uh, IGA foundation board member. He serves on my communications committee and also you maybe have read a few of his articles up and down the Iowa golf scene. Uh, something kind of new we've started what Mark probably in the last year or so. That's right. Yep. So you've, you've done, you've done a few of those and I know you got one in the works you're working on right now. So that I, I've heard a lot of good feedback. So we, we appreciate you, you doing that for us.
1: Well, it's been my pleasure. It's been a lot of fun and, uh, you know since I retired clint I've been looking for ways to get plugged in and I'm an old journalist by trade so mm-hmm. this is i thought was a perfect fit i look forward to doing many more columns in the future you bet we uh, we sure appreciate
0: it uh before we get you dive in too far mark how'd you get started in the game or what's kind of your first memories of the the game of golf in in your career
1: well i uh clint I grew up in one of Iowa's, you know, nine hole golf courses in small mm-hmm. town, Iowa in Haywarden. And uh, I think I started playing in 1970 at age 10. Okay. And my brother, older brother introduced me to the game. And uh, it wasn't uh, in those days, uh, Haywarden's golf course wasn't very many years past sand greens. Okay. Yep. So <laughs> that was probably in the mid sixties. They still had sand greens which maybe some of your podcast listeners can relate to, Uh, but I got started in 1970 and in junior high, kind of self-taught, just ran laps around that little nine-hole course in Haywarden and fell in love with the game, and that's a love affair that has continued for 52 years.
0: That's awesome. Uh, When did you kind of, did you play kind of tournament golf, um, kind of once you got into high school, or do you you have kind of some of your first memories of Of that kind of getting into that competition side?
1: Well, I was on the high school golf team and uh, played as a a freshman, made the team, and played for four years at West Sioux. Uh, We did get to the state tournament one year. We always had a roadblock in those days, and that roadblock was Algona Garrigan and the Winkle Boys, yep, and uh, Jim Hamilton and and, uh, Tom Geelan and so forth. So we didn't get to the big dance very often, but it was there that, um, you know, my love for the game and my love for competition kind of was, uh, um, born, I guess. And, um, you know, I've enjoyed competing and I do that, uh, to this day, not necessarily against the other guys, so to speak. Cause I have always believed that golf is you against yourself, Right. we're all competitors, Um, but I can't control what the other guy's doing. I want to beat him, but I just worry about myself. And so I played high school golf. I went on and played college golf at Morningside for four years. Mm -hmm. And, um, and then when I entered the workforce, uh, it was a little harder to keep my game in shape, but I still competed in tournaments and have, you know, over the decades, I don't know how many I've played in. I couldn't count. Not as many as Ivan Miller. <laughs> that's
0: right, that's right. Uh, one of the guys you did your uh, your uh, up and down uh, columns on. If if some of those listeners need to need to catch up on those, Ivan Ivan's a good guy. Um, Mark, do you do you have some some memories of those of maybe specific tournaments um, over the years, or, or things that you kind of look back on, or I maybe mean, even guys you played with uh, throughout the years that that you know are
1: are fond memories. Well, maybe the, for lack of a better phrase, the crowning achievement. Okay. Uh, I did qualify for the USGA Public Links. Okay. Uh, and that was uh, when they still had the Pub Links tournament. Mm-hmm. I got through the sectional up in Sioux Falls in 1987. Uh, okay. At Elmwood Golf Course in Sioux Falls. Okay. And played in the uh, US uh, Pub Links. It was in Cincinnati in that year. Okay, And so uh, I did not qualify for uh, the match play. I think I shot maybe 158, which was competitive for the 36, but not good enough and so forth. So um, I've won a couple of tournaments in Sioux City, uh, the city tournament. Uh, they have an interstate amateur that uh, they do every year at the old Sioux City Boat Club. I won a that a couple of times in the 1990s. Uh, and so forth and um, you know you can't take winning for granted right Uh, I went 20 years without winning a golf tournament uh, until 2017 and I I managed to win the Alton Open in Alton Iowa which is another great nine hole yeah yeah Uh, and it was the Ron DeVries Memorial and I knew Ron he was killed in a car accident in the Nine, uh, i'm sorry in the late 1980s so okay. it was very meaningful in a number of ways it was the first individual tournament that i had won in 20 years sure. and then since having known uh, the person that it was in memory of it was very special so um yeah those uh, i've had many 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 golf experiences i guess those come to the the forefront Mark, what? Uh, t-
0: tell me about your game. What do you kind of hang your hat on? I, I, if you are asked me, I haven't watched you play a lot, but I, I think you're a, a tremendous ball striker. So I don't know if I'm way off on that or not, but I feel like you yeah. hit the ball pretty solid.
1: Well, uh, certainly uh, steady, slow and steady, I mm-hmm. guess, wins the race for me. Mm-hmm. I don't really have a great strength, maybe scrambling, uh, but I don't have a, a lot of weaknesses either. Uh, I don't hit the ball as far as the uh, fellas that are on top of the point standings. Uh, I have to uh, make my hay in other ways, you know, by having a good short game, keeping the ball in play um, and, you know, making good course management decisions and so forth. And then um, some putting as well. So, you know, most of us at our level, when we play well, we putt well.
0: Mm Yep. Yep. Getting up and down and yeah, making, making, making those three or four putts that, you know, when you, you look back, it's like, you know, that was, that was the key, wasn't it?
1: Yeah. And I I just, um, you know, I I tell Gene Elliott and and the fellows that you have to pay attention to guys like me because we contribute to the prize money.
0: (laughs) That's right. That's very true. And you, you know, and if you're always there in the weeds, my dad always says always there in the weeds, just, you never know, might, might strike. So, so uh, no, but it's a, uh, it's definitely a game that's a, uh, it's a lifetime of, uh, can beat you up, but I'll tell you what, the the good days far outweigh the bad days. I say with, with the game of golf.
1: Well, it teaches us so much about the game life too. Mm-hmm. And so many parallels and, uh, you know, I've over the years of just, uh, Uh, enjoyed competing, playing. And, you know, for example, this year now in retirement, I played 131 18 whole rounds. You'd think I'd be a better player than what I am. (laughs) Um, But it's just uh, uh, been a lot of fun.
0: Yep, for sure. Well, Mark, the the one thing I definitely want to talk to you about uh, the last year, you've been on the bag on the Champions Tour. Tell us about that, kind of where that, how that all came to be, because I know it's a it's a pretty neat story, so I'm going to just kind of turn the floor
1: over to you. Okay, well, I've just spent a dream season. Uh, now I, I caddied part-time. I actually worked uh, six events in the spring and the summer uh, on the PGA Champions Tour and mm-hmm. got to be inside the ropes with all the guys that I grew up following. And so uh, this is a story that uh, Clint starts probably – 30 some years ago. Um, when I was living in Sioux city and this goes back to the old Ben Hogan tour days, uh, in 1990, um, the, the, the year that the Hogan tour was uh, launched, Sioux city had an event, the the Ben Hogan Dakota dunes open. So I signed up as a volunteer to, to caddy. And in 1990, um, I got hooked up with, uh, a fellow Iowan, Greg Ladehoff from uh, Clinton. So I, I caddied for Greg in 1990. And uh, he his pl- uh, professional playing days were drawing to a close at that time. And um, the next year, the very next year, 1991, I signed up again. And they, at random, paired me up with this young whippersnapper from Florida, <laughs> Roger Roland, Rowland, R-O-W-L-A-N-D. And so I, I caddied for Roger in 1991. Uh, he was from Ocala, Florida, and he top Tendit it uh, for that event. And we struck up a friendship, uh, albeit at a distance, that uh, has carried on for thirty some years. You know, maybe for some context, uh, Roger played uh, the Nike Tour. I'm sorry, the Hogan Tour, and then it became the Nike Tour for about ten years. Uh, with some modest success, not great success. He had a couple of runner-up finishes. I think his highest finish on the uh, in the standings was 33rd. Uh, never made it to the PGA Tour, and so stopped playing, uh, you know, the the big tour golf. You know, around the year 2000, uh, and then started playing mini tours down in Florida. Many, many, many tours. Uh, he played the old Space Coast tour, um, the Tommy Armour tour, the West Coast Florida tour. Uh, there's a Florida professional golf tour that he played, the Hooters tour of all
0: things. <laughs>
1: yeah. Uh, and so this guy is golf's ultimate journeyman. Uh, I think he won something like 85 mini tour events. Wow. And so as Roger, we stayed in touch, uh, not... Really personally, although I did in some of my business trips to Florida, we would get together, you know, every five to seven years and so forth. Well, to fast, uh, fast forward uh, to 2019, uh, he turned 50 and uh, started trying to uh, become eligible for the Champions Tour, which uh, it might be easier, as the good book says, for the camel to go through the eye of a needle than Mm -hmm. to qualify for the PGA Champions Tour. It's the hardest card to get. Um, And anyway, in 2019, he qualified for the U.S. Senior Open. And so I went back and caddied for him. It was at Notre Dame at Warren Golf Club. Mm -hmm. We missed the cut, uh, but had a great experience, kind of reconnected and so forth. And uh, he, Roger, was doing Monday qualifiers for the Champions Tour. He would play in the Q School, finish respectable, but not well enough to earn a card. Only five players get uh, Champions Tour cards. So uh, along about, uh, well, it would have been uh, about a year ago at this time, uh, the phone rings and it's Roger and he, he wants to know if I want to caddy for him for the, uh, he had qualified, got out of the first stage of the Champions Tour qualifier. He wanted to know if I would bag for him for the finals, which was at TPC Tampa Bay. Okay. Uh, and I said, sure. So my wife, Robin, and I just hopped in the car and we made a, a long trip out of it. And I caddied for him at the Champions Tour event there. It's a 72-hole qualifier, 80 players, five cards. I remember looking through the, the list of players that had quality and there were at least a dozen PGA tour winners in the field. It's incredibly competitive. Um, and anyway, you know, Roger shoots 72, the first round 70, the second round 68, the third round, and we're all of a sudden tied for 15th after 54 holes going into the final day. And, um, getting into some detail here, but it's some context. Um, and and so, you know, we're in decent position. I really wasn't thinking about, you know, we're going to light it up and get our Mm -hmm. car. Mm -hmm. So, uh, after five holes, he's two over and I'm thinking, you know, now we just want a top 30 it. So he doesn't have to go through the pre-Monday qualifier for the following year because the top 30 and ties are exempt uh from the pre monday qualifying and so sure. forth. Well, he catches lightning in a bottle and he goes eight under for the final 12 holes and gets his card by one shot and finishes wow. fifth. Wow. And so it was really a special moment. Um, the odds of that happening were really astronomical, and it did. And um Rob Labritz won the the tournament, and Tong Chai J.D., who Mm -hmm. uh, may not exactly be a household name, but he might be all of a sudden. He had a fabulous year this year. He finished second. David Branshaw got through, and Tom Gillis Mm -hmm. and Roger Rowland. So I told Roger, that's a long preamble to this year, but I told Roger, I'll work the Midwest events for you. Uh, We probably can't do all of them. And so that's kind of the the context of how everything got, got started for the 2022 year.
0: That's uh that's incredible. Uh Mark, do you as we know in golf, you know, one shot here, one shot there, uh can can make a big difference. Do you do you remember a shot, maybe not even that final round, but maybe a shot that stands out? It's like, okay, that's that's the one that kind of that was it that was that was the one that we needed or that you know maybe made a long putt or got up and down or something something you, you recall I guess yeah that
1: you know he shot 30 on the back nine uh, on that final round and uh, you know we there were no scoreboards and okay. I you know you don't really pull out your phone and look at the leaderboard uh, and Roger didn't really want to know where he stood But we had a little backup on the 17th tee at TPC Tampa Bay. And if anyone has played there, it's a long par three with a pond in front. And uh, pins cut back right, about a 215, 220-yard shot. And we have a backup. so and, And Roger's sitting at eight under. And I went behind a tree and disobeyed my player. And I looked at the leaderboard. And we were, I knew we were right there Mm -hmm. and uh, he steps up and hits a hybrid to about five feet, makes the putt and we get it to nine under. And that I knew that if we finished at nine, we'd, we'd be in pretty good shape. Um, And 18 at TPC Tampa Bay has water all down the right side as well. And so forth. So there's no guarantee there. He split the fairway. Uh, knocked it, you know, probably 25 feet away, and made par. And then we had to sweat it out because there were a couple of players, Skip Kendall being one, yep. where um, you know he made a couple of bogeys coming in, and and so forth. And all those circumstances came together to give uh, Roger, you know, this this chance at at playing a full schedule on the Champions Tour in 2022.
0: So, Mark, you, and you may, may have said this, I apologize, how many, how many events did you caddy for and maybe where, where were some of those, what were some of those locations, I guess?
1: So, uh, I worked six events. Okay. Uh, and it started in April, in late April, at the Club Corps Classic down in uh, uh, Dallas at Las Colinas Country Club. Um, I worked the uh, KitchenAid Senior PGA in Baton Harbor, Michigan. Mm-hmm. Uh, of course, the Principal Charity Classic here in Des Moines. Uh, the American Family Insurance Classic, which was Steve Stricker's tournament up in Madison, Wisconsin. And then the Ascension Charity Classic in, in St. Louis, which was held at Norwood uh, Hills Country Club. And then my last event was in mid to late September at the Sanford International in, in Sioux Falls at, at Minnehaha Country Club.
0: Okay uh tell us tell us just about being kind of inside the ropes but also you probably got some good stories maybe from some other caddies or got to know maybe a few other caddies what uh what do you have about that i guess
1: well um you know the, it's interesting as far as um you know that the caddies it's a a unique cross-section of humanity right um so uh you know you have your professional caddies like, for example, we played a couple of times with Duffy Waldorf. Mm-hmm. And uh, Duffy's caddy, Tony, has been on his bag for 30 years. And, in fact, I met his wife and, and uh, Duffy's caddy, Tony, and they're from Nashville. And uh, big Titan fans. And, anyway, his wife said to me that, uh, you know, I think, I think Tony is married to Duffy, not me. I mean, as <laughs> much time as yeah, they get sure. together. Yeah, uh, but but he would be an example of a professional caddy where uh, week after week they have the same guy on the bag. Mm-hmm. Then you've got you know kind of a uh, what I would call a professional caddy, but they bounce around a little bit and they may be. I saw guys early in the year with one player, and then you know mid year they'd be with another player. Okay, and so forth, and then you have kind of your. Guys that don't have a regular bag that actually travel from location to location and hopefully picking up a bag on the spot, maybe from a Monday qualifier or maybe from, you know, there's, there is an alternate list at every tournament where some players, you know, at the last minute may not be able to, to make it and, and have to uh, WD and then they'll go to an alternate list and then that kind of opens up a bag. Then you've got some local guys that uh, you know might just carry, you know, like a club member or a kid or something. And then there's guys like me, you know, like a friend or a wife or a girlfriend or something. Mm-hmm. And so it's uh, it's it was fun getting to know the caddies. Let's put it that way.
0: Uh, Mark, what uh, are there some some pairings that you? You look back and you have maybe some memories of any, any particular players, or or maybe you got paired with you know one player several times that you kind of maybe got to know, or that you know was a was a good experience, or maybe even an interesting experience. I guess.
1: Well, just like the caddies, you know, the players uh, represent all facets of humanity too. You know, some of the guys are very outgoing and warm and friendly. Others are are courteous but kind of stick to themselves. And then others are, you know, in the other category, too. And, and you you figure that out pretty quickly. Um, I think one of the pairings, Clint, that really uh, hit home for me is uh, we played uh, the final round of the Sanford International up in Sioux Falls with two major champions. Uh, and that would be Corey Pavin and Jose Maria Olifabo. Oh, wow. Nice. And so that, that, that was really special. And that was my final... Um, kind of probably my final hurrah as a Champions Tour caddy, too, since, uh, you know, Roger did not play well enough to, to keep his status. Um, it, uh, you know, we, we played, uh, you know, on Fridays when the pairings come out or when the pairing, you know, for first round, guys like Roger are normally pair, paired with maybe other Q school grads or Monday qualifiers. We're not getting the big draw. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but it, it's uh, you know Roger struggled, uh, and w- maybe we can get into that in a little bit. But one of the ironic things of you know struggling on the Champions Tour is you warm up next to the leaders, and so the the players that are at the top of the leaderboard and the players that are at the bottom of the leaderboard have similar tee times going off different nines that's
0: true yeah there were yeah
1: Yeah. there were a number of times on the range where I looked down and right next to us is Miguel Angel Jimenez you know Jerry Kelly Colin Montgomery Steve Stricker Ernie L Stephen Alker, (laughs) Andre Harrington and, (laughs) and so forth so in that way we were able to rub shoulders uh but in that way only
0: yeah for sure um what uh We'll kind of dig into uh, to Rogers' game a little bit. What? Tell me about his game. Tell me kind of what he you know hangs his hat on, and like you said, kind of had not not as a successful year as, as he wanted, and and uh, kind of maybe what his future looks like if you if you know what that
1: entails. Yeah. So uh, Roger, it was a challenging year, and I think uh, you know adjusting. You know, he's a grizzled mini tour veteran, and there's mm-hmm. a lot of grit there. Mm-hmm. Uh, but when you step up to the highest level, um, you know, and he would he would say it, it, it just was overwhelming. The, there was an adjustment to the way the courses are set up and you know when to gamble and when not to gamble. And when you gamble and lose, the world goes by you. And you know, you you make a double or or have a bad hole. And it's very hard to recover, at least for a a player of Roger's caliber, which is at an incredibly high level, right? The margins, the margins are small, but when they're compounded over, you know, 54 holes or over week after week or for the season, they become greater. And he played in 16 events. Uh, You know, he won, you know, right at $30,000. Which is not very much, you know, at that level. His best showing was a T for forty six in an event out in California early in the year, which I was not on the bag. Um, so, it, it uh, yeah, like up in Sioux Falls, you know, he shot two twelve for fifty four holes, and T for sixty five, and that that just underscores how incredibly competitive it is. Um, you know, when I kind of look at, you know, one of the striking takeaways from this year is just how incredibly good these players are Mm -hmm. and how pure they hit it shot after shot, after shot. They don't miss, do they? They don't miss. They don't miss and and they're human. They will Mm -hmm. miss, Mm -hmm. but, um, and being able to get the ball in the hole and convert birdie opportunities is what separates the really good players from the great players. So Roger, um, uh, he's back home in, uh, in Florida. He did not go back to the Q school. They just completed the first stage of a champion scorer qualifying. Um, you know, he was, uh, he lost his parents at an early age. He was raised by an aunt in Georgia. Uh, his parents were killed. Uh, and so, um, and his aunt recently passed away, and he's uh, going to be doing some work, you know, closing an estate and so forth. He's going to play next year. In fact, he's going to do Monday qualifiers for some of the events. He's 55 years old, and like many of the pros, at, at some point they have to make some decisions. Mm-hmm. I think he's still going to play professionally, uh, and but it this coming year will be kind of a timeout year.
0: Okay. I want to go back to uh, the pairing you talked about I mean one of the most iconic shots in U.S. Open history Corey Pavin and then you know no more than others but I mean Jose I mean one of the great Masters champions that that was always you know he won it what twice and feel like he always was in the hunt there and I mean, that had to be just incredible. I mean, but going back to, I mean, you got to, you know, as a caddy, but also as Rogers, I mean, he's there to do a job too. So it's, you're probably kind of looking around and, you know, kind of starstruck, but then you got to, you got to put yourself kind of back and, hey, we got to, you know, we got a job in front of us to do, don't you?
1: Yeah. And the players, you can pick up vibes. Uh, most of the players are very cordial towards the caddies. You know, some are not. and And you, you know that. Um, and so Corey, you know, when the when there's a backup in play and so forth, he would chat. You know, one of the things about Corey, everybody thinks he doesn't hit it very far. He hits it plenty far, doesn't he? He hits it plenty (laughs) far. And 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 he's uh, you know, got some big forearms. He's got Tom Watson forearms. Uh Uh And so he's not, while he's not very tall, and he's got an incredible array of shots. And even over 18 holes, we got to see some short game magic uh, that he has. Jose pretty much, you know, kept to himself. Uh, He was a little more reserved and so forth. But, again, being starstruck uh, is is a good way of describing, frankly, the entire year. Mm -hmm. Um, I I think back on, uh, you know, some of the things that, you know, maybe what were the memorable moments you know, starting with stepping in Scott Hoke's line in Dallas. Um, <laughs> I can only I
0: imagine. That, I can only imagine what that was like. What that entailed. Well, he? He you know, seems I, like one that's maybe a little more on the re- reserved side. Am I? Am
1: I correct on that? Uh, y- yes, and can be <laughs> volcanic as well. Yes. Yeah. Fortunately, geez, yes. Um, so it wasn't a short putt that I did that. You know, the interesting thing is I've been playing a long time and when you can still get lost where you are Mm -hmm. and not keep track of where everyone is at. And so, you know, there's a caddy protocol and who goes to get the pin. If your player is obviously the farthest one out, you get the pin. And I did lose track of where Scott's approach uh, ball was and he had maybe a 30 footer. So it wasn't uh, it was a misdemeanor, not a felony. Okay. But uh, he did let me know about it. Yeah. Yeah. Another yeah. thing that I remembered in St. Louis, the PGA, the Champions Tour provides all of the range balls for the tournament. And so they ship them in. Mm-hmm. And so uh, when the players go to hit range, there was a shortage of range balls for some reason. And uh, again, Roger was down the line. And uh, as far as uh, in the final round, we were again paired, the leaders were here were right with us, warming up on the chipping range, uh, there were no range balls. And um, we were able to scrounge up, you know, Steven Alker is up there, you know, he had a handful, you know, and Padraig Harrington had a handful. And up, in comes Bernard Langer, and there are no range balls. And I had four for my player, and Roger said, "Why don't you give those four range balls to hard Long?" Or so I'm literally handing him premium <laughs> range balls so he could chip <laughs> up. It, it's, some of these things are bizarre.
0: That's that's crazy, um, Mark. Is there? Do you have a maybe a player or two that maybe you kind of had an idea of, of maybe kind of how you thought they were? Either and this could go one or two ways. You know, were they, you know, they kind of shocked you maybe how they are kind of inside the ropes? Is there anybody that stands out that, wow, you know, he was, you know, he was a lot more down to earth than I thought. Or maybe he, he's not as down to earth as, as you think.
1: Well, um, this may not fit exactly, but mm-hmm. we played with Scott McCarran at uh, the Principal Charity Classic. I think okay. it was the second round. And I watched Scott hit a 365-yard drive on number five at Wakanda. Now, okay. yes, it hit the top of the hill and down she went. But they—I ha- asked the caddy. I had an eight iron in from like 159, and uh, Scott was uh, very cordial and very businesslike at the same time. Okay. He had a pretty serious ankle injury. You know, he's a fabulous player and. Uh-huh you know, won 10 or 12 Champions Tour events. He's now in his, you know, mid to late 50s, had this injury and had kind of an off year. And is, you know, that kind of, again, underscores how hard it is uh, where something might happen physically or if your game isn't quite where it once was, it's easy to slip down. And, you know, I, I hope he is able to rehab and make it back Um, but yeah, it's incredibly difficult to stay sharp and be competitive year after year after year.
0: Mark, and, and maybe it's, it's, maybe it's as simple as just being consistent, but, you know, being inside the ropes, what, what did you see as maybe one or two things that the guys that were, you know, going off the front late in the day versus the guys that were maybe going off, off the back nine late in the day, was it, is it putting? Is it all around? Is it, is there one or two things that you, you know, the events you worked, you, you, you kind of picked up on?
1: Yeah, and, and again, while the margins over 18 holes might seem small, they get compounded over the course of the tournament. And that's really not any different at any level that you mm-hmm. play sure. our level. Um, and so, you know, Roger didn't break 70 very often. Um, And you have to, you you have to make birdies and minimize mistakes. And, you know, again, it's no different than that, you know, with respect, uh, Clint, to kind of the, the mechanics of caddying, probably the biggest surprise that I had, my takeaway was how fast the game moves. It doesn't look like it that on TV. In fact, it looks like molasses.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Nothing could be. It's completely opposite in reality. Um, if your player is the last one off the tee, uh, by the time he hands you your driver, you clean it, you get it back in the bag, you're 30 yards behind. And uh, if you're first to hit, uh, you got to hustle. I mean, I literally had to floor it going down the fairway to catch up. And I think that was one of the biggest surprises. And we had we had good luck with weather in terms of, you know, it did. We didn't really have days where it was in the 90s and humid. You had to stay hydrated, but you didn't have any time to drink sure. on the cheese unless there was a backup because you're always doing something and you're always anticipating. So really the speed of how things actually work when you're live was was shocking. And the other part was how fast these guys in the fairways for their approach shots kind of determine, you know, with the help of the yardage books and the pin sheets and the sprinkler heads, all that mathematics has to come together quickly. And when it's your turn, um, you better be ready. Um, and, and so forth. So those, I think, as far as, you know, surprises of caddy, you, you think um, you've done it a couple of times, but it, it's different. And just the speed. And I, I, you know, I'll say we were out of position, maybe more than the, the other players, <laughs> as far as being off the fairway or maybe in a sand trap or something that really slows things down and puts you under stress. As
0: a cat, sure, sure. yeah. Uh, Mark, kind of a two-part question. uh, Kind of going back to some of the etiquette you talked about. Um, Obviously, you know some of it. You you probably knew about and just playing the game and understood. But as far as some of that stuff, was it you just kind of learned on the fly, or was there maybe kind of some some things you had to, you know, you knew beforehand before you got into it. And you caddied some before, but I, I'm always curious about that. Some of the kind of the unwritten rules are kind of, okay, Hey, he's getting the flag. He's going to clean the ball. He's going to he'll rake the rake the sand trap you were just in. How did that? How did that work?
1: Well, yeah. There's some feral, some basic caddy protocol. You know, if your player, is especially on the greens, most of that applies on the greens. Um, if your player is first to putt, you grab the pin, and then you hand it to the caddy. Whose player is next to putt? Normally, we played in threesomes. Sometimes it was twosomes, and so forth. And then, whomever player is the last to putt, you know that caddy would, you know, handle the flag mm-hmm. and put the flag in. So, okay. if your player is last to putt and first to hit on the tee, um, you got no time. You got to hustle. And as far as you know, the caddies are very um, cordial with one another when it's live. You know, for example, you know, when, when another player would hit a hit be in the sand trap, that caddy would have to rake the trap, I would clean um, that player's golf ball, for example, and uh, the other player and they would do the same when my player would be hitting out of the, the bunkers. So, a lot of it is common sense. Um, some of it you have to learn on the fly. Mm-hmm. The... Um, probably the most surprising thing is some players kind of have rabbit ears and some players, um, if you're in their line of sight, even if you're 30 yards behind, you better be still, uh, players that if you're off when, when they take it back in their sight line, um, you know, I got caught on this a couple of times by Roger, you know, he, laid into me pretty good about not moving when you're behind and left of the player behind and right. Didn't seem to be a problem, but behind and left Hmm. even 30 or 40 yards, you're in that player's sight line. Okay. at a professional level that makes a difference. And so, um, yeah, those are things, you know, you can't rattle a club trying to get it back into the bag because not everything gets perfect and and again you have to you have to be aware uh, of just how fast things move and again it doesn't look that way on tv Mm -hmm. but it really is in actuality yeah uh
0: mark being a caddy for for roger how much info did he like uh at any given time was he a guy that liked to know a lot of things was it you know, not as much, and he would kind of do his own thing, or how, how did that work as far as your guys' relationship when you were on the bag?
1: Yeah, we were pretty open. Um, as far as, uh, you know, my main job was get the bag to the ball. Okay. And then, uh, which is a job in, in and of itself, uh, we, you know, I had a yardage book. I had a pin sheet. Roger is used to doing his own yardages, but we would always confer, so we would both, both do them, mm-hmm. And then, As the year went on, the relationship, you know, I got a little more, I guess, bolder, if you will, on, um, you know, voicing my opinion on certain things. If he didn't ask, I rarely gave my opinion. Um, I can early in the year, he was taking some chances that he shouldn't have taken. Like, for example, the 18th at at Las Colinas in Dallas for uh, the club cork classic is a par five your traditional par five with a pond in front with a good drive you can go for it but there's small margins you know and he's humming along and then goes for it knocks it in the drink and we make double and it's it just on a birdie hole and it, you know should he have hit an iron an iron and chipped up and had a chance you know probably and those are things that I would say later in the year that I didn't early um, but these guys, uh, I would say it varies by the caddy and varies by the relationship. They're, this is their livelihood and they're the ones swinging the club. You know, on occasion he would, we would, it was more for confirmation rather than, um, you know, is the putt going to break this way? I don't know these greens. I know how to read greens. You know, these are courses that I've never been on before. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, it, it, it's interesting. I, I think it varies by the player and, and, and the caddy. In general, um, the player does most of that work. And in my opinion, as they should. If I were a professional, I'm responsible. Sure.
0: Just um, questions I, I've asked some of our, our other guests uh, in regards to equ- equipment. Um, was Roger one, did he like to tinker with some things, or did he pretty much have his – Have his stuff and pretty much stuck to that.
1: Yeah, Um, well, we switched drivers. Uh, We switched fairway and hybrids. Um, We did not switch irons. When things weren't going very well, about mid-year, he did start to tinker a little bit. And um, it it, uh, had mixed results, Um, uh, again, You know, in general, he had uh, a challenging year. Maybe the last three or four tournaments, he started to play a little bit better. And uh, he had a bad round in St. Louis, but then uh, for the opening round, but then he shoots 71-69, and then he shoots 72-69-71 in in St. Louis. Uh, At Jim Furyk's tournament, I didn't caddy there. It was down in Jacksonville. He had a very good opening round tied for 14th you know but then fell away and so forth so in general he finished up a little bit stronger um but yeah uh, he did switch putters and so forth so there was a fair amount of tinkering going on and generally you'll find that when you know players aren't playing well right right they're looking for answers uh instead of you know dancing with what got them there
0: yeah in my opinion, yeah, for sure um and i'm sure it was different a little bit um at each locations but can you kind of just talk about how the caddies um guess were, were handled and, and treated and it, it maybe just kind of how that differentiated uh, from each each stop you made
1: well um I'll go back in the proverbial old days when I didn't caddy. I have a buddy from Northwest Iowa, Harold Hoftizer from Orange City. We used to go over to the old Quad Cities, Ed McMahon Quad Cities. Yeah, Open. sure. Hardy's classic. Yeah, you bet. We'd go for the tournament and, and stay. And, of course, we'd always strike up conversations with caddies. Well, uh, we happened to be staying, you know, in those days. You know, I, I didn't stay at the Hilton. We were staying at the Regal 8, maybe. Okay. And we would observe caddies four to a room, cooking <laughs> hot dogs on a you know a, one of those little grills in the park. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and caddies would travel together and you know stretch a dollar. Uh, caddies are treated a little differently now, and, and in fact, there's a separate caddy shack or a caddy room, and um, you know there's uh, you get two squares a day if you will. Uh, there's breakfast and and a and a lunch. Uh, most of them were very good, and in fact, up at the major major event up in, in Michigan, uh, I mean, we had made caddies had made-to-order omelets, if you can believe it. Wow, and and so forth. So, uh, th- there was some variation from event to event, but in general, uh, caddies are treated very very well, uh, and it it didn't always used to be that way, uh, from from our view, from the perimeter, um, and so there, there's a the hospitality is, is is different. One of the other things, too, Clint, that I took away is just the tremendous effort that it takes to run a tournament, the number of volunteers, all the mechanics and the logistics, and uh, it's a mammoth effort. And I know, in nobody knows better than you know the folks that run the Principal Charity Classic, the PCC. But it, it it just takes hundreds and hundreds of people coming together. And, and we see that, we meaning players and caddies, uh, you know, as the participants.
0: Uh, Mark, uh, we'll kind of kind of finish up with this question. You know, you were able to, to caddy at a couple of events, you know, pretty close to home up there in si- Sioux Falls and then here in Des Moines at Wakanda. Can you just talk about kind of how special that was? And, you know, you probably got to see some people outside the ropes that you knew and, and that kind of thing, kind of look back on that.
1: Well, it was. And those two were, frankly, my favorite events. Uh, okay. I mean, as far as, as that. I, I'd hear, you know, from the from the gallery, I'd occasionally hear, come on, old man, hurry up, catch up, <laughs> old art," you know, and stuff. And, and that that was great. Um, yeah, I wish we'd have played better. In fact, at, at PCC, we tied for last with Fred Funk. And we did play with Fred, uh, actually, in... Uh, Dallas heck of a nice guy great guy uh, and so forth and and in Sioux Falls I did see some some people that I hadn't seen in quite a few years having lived in Sioux City and and competed in some Sioux Falls events and some people remembered me so it was uh, those two events in particular um, were extra special the others were very very special that's
0: that's awesome and it was it was fun to see you at the PCC. Mark, I,
1: I saw you there on on 18 and and uh... Well, one other comment about PCC, <laughs> you know, I had a, a a number of the caddies say that uh, the PCC if, if it wasn't the hardest caddy venue to to bag it, uh-huh. it was in the top 3. Yeah. Um, and so and I can concur after 5 days, you know the other thing too Clint is when you caddied for a week you, you caddied five times, not just the three tournament, right? He's got pro because there are, are most of the tournaments had two pro amps where the, the players participated in. So it was a five day caddy action, uh, not just three for the actual tournament.
0: Yeah. It's probably something that, that people don't, uh, don't realize, uh, well, Mark, I, uh, I appreciate you coming on the podcast Been been looking forward to, to talking to you about your, your travels inside the ropes. So, uh, again, thanks for coming on and, and sharing that with us. And like I said, look, uh, look forward to your up and down the golf scene columns. So for our listeners are checking those out, if they haven't, they're on our website and, uh, can, can catch up on those. So.
1: Well, it was an extraordinary year and appreciate this opportunity to, to chat about it.
0: You bet. We'll, uh, we'll talk with you later. Alrighty. All right. See it.